You're listening to ReachMD XM 157, the channel for medical professionals. Welcome to the Clinician's Roundtable. I'm Dr. Maurice Pickard, your host, and with me today is Dr. David Mayer. Dr. Mayer is Associate Dean for Curriculum at the University of Illinois, Chicago, College of Medicine. He's also an Associate Professor in the Department of Anesthesiology and Co-Director at the Institute for Patient Safety Excellence at the University of Illinois. Thank you, Dr. Mayer, for joining us today. It's a pleasure to be with you, Murray. We're going to be discussing the educational and ethical mission to reduce medical errors and increase transparency in patient care. Could you tell me a little bit about the Institute for Patient Safety Excellence at the University of Illinois? Sure. The Institute for Patient Safety Excellence is a endeavor that we began probably about three, four years ago that has been formalized over the last year, and it basically looks at how we can improve patient safety across the continuum of what academic medical centers do, and that's not only clinical care, but research and education and training around those clinical care outcomes. So it's basically what we refer to as the tripartite mission of education, research, and clinical care. I know you have a model called the Patient Communicative Consult Service that deals with errors or untoward results in patient care. Could you tell us what that is? Sure. Errors occur in medicine. I think we've come to the realization and honesty about that. And when an error does occur, regardless of, you know, good people trying to do their job as effective as they can, historically we have always kind of hidden behind our administrators and our lawyers. Uh, There's sort of a new thinking today that the best way to deal with an error is to be fully honest with patients, explain to them what happened, share with them any information that we have around the error, and then learn from that error so that we could make things better for patients in the future. And communication is such an important element around the event around that adverse event or error that occurs. And so we found that, you know, learning how to effectively communicate with patients and answer their questions is key to doing it correctly. And that's what our consult service does is within 24 hours they get with the patient and their family and start the process of explaining exactly what happened and what we are going to do to remedy that fact. What are the elements that are involved in disclosure, and what disciplines become involved? Well, all disciplines really become involved who were part of the healthcare team. Healthcare today is much more team-based than it was, say, 20 years ago. And so when an adverse event occurs, whoever was involved with the care of that patient over the duration of the, in our case, the hospital period, would get together and talk about the error with the patient and explain to them what has happened. Nursing would do that. Pharmacy might do that. Clearly, the physicians, the residents, any medical students that were involved. We do this as a team because we all want to be there to answer any questions that the family has about what we know. And sometimes there are things we don't know yet about the adverse event. And to explain to them that we're trying to find that information out, and as soon as we do, we will get back to the patient and continue to keep them in the dialogue about the event. If we're to make changes within the system, it's got to start with our medical students. How do you incorporate the students into this program? Getting the students as well as the residents involved is, we believe, critical to the process. 
when you look at other industries like aviation or nuclear energy who have looked at risk reductions and patient safety and learning from errors, they believe to change a culture, you've got to start when people first enter that particular culture. And so we've been very active in getting our students involved literally from day one about changes in medical error cultures and how we deal with patients, how we're honest with patients, how we include patients within the team, and also training them on how to communicate effectively, not only in good times, but in those difficult times when either a adverse event happens or a medical error happens. And so students go through training at our university where they get to practice and work with what we call standardized patients who are actors, and they are trained to have the same emotions and feelings that patients would have, to ask the same questions, the difficult questions that patients would want answered. And the students go through a process of working with the standardized patient, explaining to them some of the difficult situations that they'd have to explain, and then getting feedback and sort of debriefing on how they did, what they could have done better, watching themselves on videos of how they performed and how they went through the process. This role-playing that you describe, does it begin with the first year and progress? Is there some kind of progression that happens during the curriculum from first to fourth year? Yeah, there's a progression. When first-year students come in, they know very little the majority of them about clinical care and bedside care, and if they had very limited, if any, experience with patient interactions. And so the first year, we really try to make them aware of the change in culture that's happening. We talk to them about some cases that we've had within our system, how we've handled them, how we've learned from them. We let them talk to patients who've had some errors or had an error that affected them or a family member. And so the first year is really more of an awareness and trying to increase their knowledge about healthcare around these events. The second year, they start beginning to apply. They get to work with standardized patients on history-taking skills and, and get to interact as well as with patients. But it's the third year and fourth year that we really start getting them into the role plays and taking them deeper into things around air science like root cause analysis, trying to understand and go through the process of how an air occurred, figuring out a process improvement or an educational intervention that might have prevented that air, how we do quality improvement initiatives. We talk to them about practicing and, and simulation, more of a high-fidelity simulation versus just standardized patients. If you're just joining us, you're listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD XM 157, the channel for medical professionals. I'm Dr. Maurice Pickard, and I'm speaking with Dr. David Mayer, and we're discussing training medical students in communicative skills and learning how to apologize when the need is necessary. Do you have any data that you can look back on to see whether the students really are learning this lesson? very interesting thing that we've been trying to follow, at least here at the university, is many of our students go on to become residents at our university, and many of our residents go on to stay and, and become attending physicians within our medical center. What we've noticed 
has been that the students that have gone through our training, and especially the ones who have taken our more senior level course that we offer during the fourth year, it's a two-week intensive patient safety full disclosure training elective, they go on and become leaders as residents in our program. So many of them get on our safety and, and management teams. A number of them get into our root cause analysis committees. Many of them participate actively and help train on our full disclosure communication services. They sort of become the champions amongst the residents who may not have gone through our environment as a student to help them understand and get adapted into the program and understand why we do what we do and the approach that we take, which is still very different from most centers across the country. When you look back on these residents and then you have the opportunity to see them as first and second year students, have you ever thought about that some of them may have what some people call emotional intelligence? When they come into the school, the people who really become leaders and good at communications maybe had this skill even before, and this leads them to be good communicators. You're correct. It's been very interesting to follow the research and applications of emotional intelligence into other industries. You know, like you say, business has been one that's been looking at these types of skills and whether you could really assess them early, identify them early, do they make a difference in somebody's leadership and their development. We've been starting to look at those things as well as others in healthcare, and it, it may be very interesting to see that people who do present with or do possess higher emotional intelligence skills tend to be more acceptable of some of the new communication and, and teamwork philosophies that are now you know, starting to embed themselves in medical education. That some of these students had what we would call empathy when before they came to school, and what your goal is to communicate what empathy is to those people who may not be listening to their patients. Yeah, and, and I would say that there's a lot of debate on whether you could teach empathy, but clearly people seeing it displayed and understanding the value when events like these things occur, we believe is is very important, and we believe it's a very strong trait that's needed. Some of these communications with families are very emotional, and they really get to things that are so much deeper than, I think, the normal day-to-day -day activities, and it's amazing to see people go through the process. One of the other things I think that's very important is around our full disclosure and our communication training modules, it's not only working with the patient when an error occurs that's so important and to be able to have the patient their family understand and have their questions answered and to do the right thing when errors occur, but there's also a second victim that is that healthcare provider. You know, no one goes into healthcare to make a mistake that could possibly hurt somebody and when that event may occur, we found, as others have found in their research, that the physician or the nurse or the pharmacist hurts extremely bad also. And I believe the emotional intelligence and the support that that person receives and is able to work through via communication processes is also an important point of, of the process that we do internally here. You'll see in the literature often that Dr. Hertz and how he reacts as he turns away. 
from the patient, actually isolating the patient when the patient really needs the doctor to see him more and bond with him even more so at that time. That's 100% correct, and we find that so often that physicians and nurses and healthcare providers want to reach out to the patient, but historically, we haven't been able to because the administration or others have told us, don't say anything to the patient, let us handle this, we know the best thing to do, and we just stop communicating historically with the patients, which really builds the walls and destroys the trust of what really happened. I want to thank Dr. David Mayer, who's been our guest today. We've been discussing communicative skills and bonding with patients and learning to apologize. I'm Dr. Maurice Pickard, and you've been listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD XM157, the channel for medical professionals. For questions and comments, please send your emails to xm at reachmd.com or visit us at reachmd.com. Thank you for listening.